0: Just out of curiosity, how many of you are familiar with Pali words? No? Never heard of? How many of you don't even know what Pali is? Okay, like you know, huh? No, because there are gonna be some uh Pali words that's gonna be thrown around. And I I just have to have a sense of how much I have to explain the words. I mean like if I were to use the word dukkha, do I have to go into Elaboration of the word Dukkha And so on and so forth But anyhow, we'll, we'll we'll go along and we'll see how it goes Now today We're talking about A very difficult subject Buddhist fellowship is famous for introducing difficult subjects <laughs> It's almost like they are trying out the speakers you know. Can you do it? Give it a shot It's difficult because really how many of us are enlightened right and we have to go and explain enlightenment see the difficulty the problem um i I would i'll do my best and if you have any problem at all i'll leave a bit of time for question answer if you have any problem at all feel free to post them if you're too shy I would suggest you grab a piece of paper, write down your question, and then just kind of float it to the front. It will eventually make its way here, okay? Now, when we talk about enlightenment, Buddhist enlightenment, you need to understand that there are at least, in my mind, there are at least three components, three parts. If you have none of the three parts, or you have only one of the three parts, it's incomplete. And it probably, your, your one part is probably not quite right. Three parts, okay? The first is knowledge. In any enlightenment situation, you have to have gained knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of how the Buddha's teaching come together. The second you must have is understanding. Puzzle puzzle. What's the difference between knowledge and understanding? All of you had gone through mathematics classes, right? When you were primary one or primary two, I know for most of us, it's a long time ago. But remember the day. Oh, forget it. Let's talk about algebra, a bit more team, right? For some of us, we still don't know what it means. Think of the time when you were first introduced to algebra. First, you will pick up knowledge, meaning to say how does the how do all the figures supposed to work and how you're supposed to see a picture one day it would strike you that oh i see this is how it works now i can apply right for those of you who didn't go beyond understand uh, the knowledge don't know how to apply it doesn't matter think of it think of something else percentages but for those of you understand one day, all you have is data, information, facts that you can use. And you have those data and facts and information. And you know roughly how to use them. Then the day of enlightenment of thought comes and you now know what they mean. You now know what algebra means. So you can apply again and again and again and again, right? You can even start to teach algebra, right? The day that you understand what they mean is the day you internalize the knowledge. It becomes second nature to you. So they are not just facts and data and information anymore. They are something which you deep down you have internalized you now know how to apply in any situation so you have two things now right you have knowledge of how they work and you have understanding of what it means and therefore you now know how to teach if you have to you understand this can you see the difference knowledge is just one level In my mind, it's not superficial, okay? Because it's between having the knowledge and not having the knowledge. I can tell you things. I can tell you this is all about algebra. And you don't understand what they mean. So you have no knowledge. Or you can roughly understand what I'm saying. And therefore you have some knowledge. You understand that? So, in this enlightenment thing enlightenment i'm not even using the word nibbana that one comes later okay in enlightenment there has to be three things right you have to have knowledge knowledge of how the buddhist Dhamma comes together there are so many parts so many things right Four noble truth eight four pa, the the karma and, so and so on and so on and so forth all these parts so knowledge means the point when you are enlightened, you understand how the pieces fit. You have, you have data, you, underst- you have the, the information in your mind. You don't have just conceptual information. You must have an internalized information. Therefore, the understanding comes in. What is Conceptual. What is internalized? Conceptual is when you read a book and after you have read the book you have information you kind of understand what the book is saying. Full stop. That's it. You kind of got the message from what the book is saying. And for most of you in this room I will put my money on the table. I think you guys have read a lot. And I think you guys understand conceptually what the Buddha is saying. How not to understand noble truth of Dukkha. The cause for the truth of, for the arising of Dukkha. I mean, this is rather straightforward. So in your mind, it's, uh, okay, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes you even skip the words. Because you're so smart, you understand. Really? So you can skip the words, right? Say yes. I always say this in front of Buddha, don't lie. Say yes. Agree? Okay. How come not Sotapanna yet? Understood, ma? Because it's just conceptual. All you have is information and data that you pick up from a book. You haven't seen it in operation in your life, it's just words. So, when you pick up knowledge in enlightenment sense, is you see ideas in operation in your life. You're seeing it how it works for you. So, you see, you understood, and you must have experience. Experiencing enlightenment comes in two ways. One way, is experiencing what those words mean secondly once you understand and see for yourself what those words means then you must have a second part to it and this is the nibbana part which is the sense of relief the sense of peace the sense of how the relief and the peace is possible how it comes about, how it is possible, and you you will know when you experience it and again and again and again. Why it is called unconditioned. It is experience. Meaning to say about the Buddha's Dhamma, you will have two broad parts of experience, right? One part of the experience it's in the mind. You understood. You saw how the things come together. You see for yourself how the Dhamma works. That is an experience. And that is why you will not forget it. If you have only a conceptual understanding and you don't see for yourself how it works, hello, tomorrow is another day. You will forget it. Agree? If you don't see how percentages work for your how to understand what what that percent means what what that percent means more money god you have to see it for yourself you can you can realize so there is a realization of sort now how do we know this is what i'm saying is correct you look at the buddhist dhamma okay in the dhamma chakra uh, the dhamma chakra Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta, I kept mixing it up with another Sutta. Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta, that is the famous Sutta, the very first Sutta that the Buddha taught, unveiled to the world, where he summarized his teaching, the very famous one. Any Buddhist worth his practicing salt must read that Sutta, word for word, in Pali. Do it in English first because I went on the net. I mean, I know what it says and I have a very good impression of what it said. But I suspect that the Pali translation has a problem because there's some words that went a bit off. So I went onto the net, pulled it out and I got four versions of translation. And only one came close. In my mind. Not that my Pali is kibliak. Not really. But some of the words you need to understand. okay, you take that sutta, and there, was, there is one portion which may not have been emphasized, but it's very important. And that is the portion where the Buddha explained at what point he concluded that he was enlightened. There's only one small para towards the end where he said, until he had all the parts in place, he didn't declare that he was enlightened. And to cut a long story short, this was what he said. You know the four noble truths, the four of them, right? Dukkha Arya Satya. The noble truth of Dukkha. You understand that, huh? That's a, that's the translation. He said The noble truth of dukkha has to be understood. Those were his words. And if you study the words that he used to describe an a experience of that, that phrase, he also talked about having insight, knowledge, understanding, vision, and so on, but in that order. Meaning to say, when the Buddha put things in order, it flows like that there is a certain flow to it so knowledge and understanding comes into that picture then he said Samuddhaya Dukkha Arya Satcha Samuddaya is the arising so the arising the cause of this experience of Dukkha and he said it has to be abandoned the word in Pali is pahat tabba. Tabba means to be. Bahat is to let go, to drop, to cut. the Dukkha Arya cessation. The word he used was sachika tabba. Sachika is to be realized, meaning. To be experienced. You see the picture now? There is knowledge, so it has to be understood. The word he used, understood. Understand, when you see the 2n the with that little wiggly word, you know that wiggly sign, it has to do with knowledge. Doesn't matter what it says. You see the wiggly sign is something about knowledge la <laughs> So Paniya is like that, remember? So this one talks about a deeper understanding. Upama, higher. Deeper understanding. The four noble truths have to be understood. The arising, the reason why there is dukkha, that part. The factors for the arising of Dukkha has to be abandoned, meaning to say you've got to let go of your craving. Nirodda, Nirodda means enlightenment plus the Nibbana bit, has to be felt. You have to experience it so that you can taste it. Hence the word is Sachi to be realized. Nirot the Gamini the path leading to the cessation of dukkha, has to be developed. Grow. To grow it. So, when it comes to enlightenment, there has to be two parts, right? There has to be understanding, understanding of how the Buddhist Dhamma come together. You have to see every single thing that he had taught. You see how they connect. That's the knowledge. You internalize that knowledge. You see how it features in your life, in your thought process. That is with understanding. You experience a sense of relief. It has to come. It, they, they, they are all connected. It has to come. You experience a sense of relief. That will give you the motivation, the faith, the incentive, the inspiration to push on. So that you understand more and more and more of the Dhamma. Okay? then what do all these fetters mean? You see, I don't particularly like to use the word sainthood. It's kind of a little... To, in my mind, if that wasn't the intent of the Buddha, to go around proclaiming degrees of sainthoodness. The enlightenment parts, levels, if you like, they are meant for individual to have a sense of what is their level of understanding if you have understood at a certain level some your worldview, your assumptions about life your priorities they will change automatically when they change When these were your worldview, your priorities, what you said should be important, your um, character, all these change because something in your mind went click. Not that you went bonkers. I don't mean that. I mean something click in your mind, you had a eureka moment, you will change. Because how you see the world is now different. You understand that? So, and it's very simple. You, uh, how many of you here are meditating? I mean, you meditate, you know meditation. How many of you here know a bit of meditation? I'm bringing it down to very minimal a bit. <laughs> I'm hoping for more hands. The reason why I, I asked you this question is because I want you to... To think back, okay, to just think back for yourself. The before and after effect of a meditation. When you first, you see, the very first time you said wrong, the very first time you had a good sitting, can you remember that? If you don't remember that, you never had a good sitting. Because when you have a good sitting, for the first time, it's a life-transforming moment, right? It's a moment when you feel, for the first time in your entire life, you felt at peace. You thought that was Nibbana. I'm sure some of you did. It's okay, don't have to tell me. You understand that? But that wasn't Nibbana, because after a while, eh, how got all diffused, all dissipated, all this goodwill towards all mankind and kindness towards all, it eh, all gone. Eh? So fast. In fact, it was just half an hour ago I was feeling goodwill towards all, including the mosquito that's buzzing in my ear. Right? Okay. That was a life-transforming moment. That was a moment when it's the before-after moment. You know, it's the kind of question that goes, who shot Kennedy at that point? What were you doing? That kind of question, right? At the moment when you felt it, what were you doing? Okay. So, if you had a eureka moment pertaining to the Dhamma. Imagine the impact on your life, in your mind, on your worldview. It will all change. So, therefore, the Buddha said the first three transformations that you will experience, the first three, would be Wichikicha. Drop. Sakaya ditti, drop. Silabhata paramasa, drop. What do they mean? Let's start with Sakaya ditti. The view that there is a permanent entity within. Ditti is view. Sakaya. This is the part where I said you have got like four or five translations. If you go to the net, you look for it, Sakaya DP, you see four or five translations. I picked the one that I thought was most correct. It's the sense that you are more than just you. It's the sense that, how do you look at the world? I'm important, right? You are fixated about your past lives. Should be correct. If I can sit down here and tell you, I can tell you your past life. There will be a line here. I get invitation for a house visit, just to figure out everybody's past life. And, and there will be fixation to some extent about what happened after death. Because you are important. Your awareness becomes a soul in your mind. The, there is something about you that is special, or so you think. There's about 100 of you here, maybe 70 of you here. 70 very important, V V I 71. So, there is this sense that you are special, that how in the world can this thing disappear? This thing has to continue. There is something permanent. There's something that matters before life and after life. And so this becomes a part of heart, your instinct towards the world. And you ask questions like, what, what, what does the Buddha mean about the five aggregates? Okay lah, okay lah, five parts lah. Yeah correct five parts. No clue what it means. What does it mean by another, soullessness? I don't know what it means. In hmm. your mind huh? How do you explain that? If this is correct then shouldn't that be wrong? Shouldn't Kama this, this thing about life of the life something's is wrong there? You start having this question and therefore you have Vichikicha. Vichikicha has been translated as doubt, right? I think that translation is wrong. There it, it's wrong not because people got it wrong, it's wrong because they could find one word. But I found another word yesterday. Someone did it quite a good job. He calls it perplexed. It's a better word. It's it the, the actual meaning is actually the marrying the marrying of these two words, to some extent. Okay. Perplexed. What does it mean? It means you are not sure, right? You are confused. You are a bit agitated depending on how much you want to know the information how much you want to understand the dhamma, if you're very keen on understanding the dhamma, you're very agitated if you are sunday buddhist go, uh, temple goer then only sunday you get a bit perplexed <laughs> but on weekday you're fine you know you understand what i'm saying so there is. why does the word doubt come into the picture because there isn't understanding and it's not doubt about the Buddha because let me even ask, Okay, I show your hand again? This is called audience engagement. Okay? <laughs> they say it's good for morale, it's good for keeping people attentive. Let me ask you this question. How many of you here would say that you have no doubt about the Buddha's Dhamma? You're pretty sure it's on the right track. How many of you would say that? How come you're all not Suttapana? because it says no doubt right vichy teacher must go and i believe you i think you guys many of you here probably have no doubt have faith have sat a lot of faith in the buddha's teaching so you have confidence in his teaching then how come you have vichy teacher what does it mean vichy teacher means that you don't know the answer you are confused what the real thing what the real answer is so you keep asking this question what does it mean how does it work why is it like that and so on you have all the f- 4 5 w's and and the h okay what does it mean why is it like that how does it work i don't understand you keep going that way that that plus the element of a little bit of agitation you put the whole thing together, you have wichikicha. How to say that in one word? <laughs> huh? Problem, right? So you pity the poor translators. Lah. Just let them be. Huh? So now you understand what wichikicha is. Do you have that? If you know in your heart there is that element, that when you are confronted with a dharma concept, your instinct is, I check Wikipedia. Or I call out my bante. If that's your instinct, then you know you still have teacher, Okay. So two parts explain, huh? Sakya the sense of the I as a permanent entity. It's not just I. It's the I as a entity. As a as a cons as, as a as a concrete thing. That there is something beyond this. That's one. And this particular worldview, this particular prism is very consistent with everybody. It has to drop. If this thing doesn't drop, you haven't understood. If you understand the Dhamma to the level of enlightenment at uh, a uh, first level of first level of understanding and enlightenment and experience, this particular prism, the lens through which you look at the world, this prism will drop. Then you will see the world in a different light. You will see your own relationship, your own where you stand, and how you relate to the world, changes. So that one. The second one is Vichy Kitcher, which I've explained. Until I run out of, I need water. (laughs) That's the second one, okay? The third one, Silabata Paramasah. What it means is, for many of us, we seek spiritual enlightenment through external assistance. Blessing, cleansing, that kind of thing, okay? It's very normal, you look at all the rituals associated with religions across time and space. Right, every religion or cult that you can think of, anyone will have a book or ritual. Why is that so? Because human being in our eternal silliness has to have form to convince us that we are approaching spirituality. We can't help it. We are like that. Otherwise, the mind cannot connect with the greatness, the the, the wider goodness and greatness. Buddha in his lifetime refused to be worshipped. We made statues of him. Bigger and bigger and bigger one. And then in honor of our modern day, we have them smaller and smaller and smaller so they can put in a pocket. And wear around your neck. We do that, right? And then we are so good at it. He who had given up Every everything in his life, every luxury items, we put diamonds on him and sapphire and stones and all. Why not drape him in gold robe, right? Why do we do these things? Because we want to believe that the cleansing process, the the spiritual elevating process, has to be blessed somehow in a physical form when you have understood the Dhamma you will let go of all this clinging on to rituals you will see them as ah, it's ineffective it won't work anyway because it's all in your mind I can clean you physically, the form I can clean your mind nothing external can clean the mind the detoxing process has to come from within, not from without. You understand? So if you have understood, these first three come together. And if you perceive that within yourself, congratulations, you are And that's what I mean when I said that, you don't have to go around asking people to come and explain to you whether or not you are the fact that you require the assistance, the additional information receptionist means you probably not. Lah. Actually, you're not. Lah. <laughs> because if you are, you don't have to ask. Okay. Now, comes part two. Kamaraga we are partner. You see, for all of us, I've said this many times before, our instinct it's self-preservation, right? You didn't know that's your instinct. Eh? <laughs> it is your instinct, okay? Self-preservation. Really, if, even the baby, you can see that. You come up with your cane and you... Oh, you need cane. You just come out and say, Who did this? Not me. <laughs> the baby knows how to do that. You mean you didn't? So the point is that all of us Our first instinct is self-preservation. But we carry it very far. This is is the engine that drives you. But we carry it so far that self-preservation means you need food, you need clothes, you need shelter. You need things to keep the body alive. But if you look at your own life, seriously, is it things that keep your body alive? No lah, why do you need 5 pairs of shoes or 10 pairs of shoes? Or of 12 handbags? I know, I've seen it. <laughs> Sorry I haven't gone into the 20 handbags. Of the guys, the guys, how many laptops you have? How many handphones you have? How many, how many have you bought in recent years? And so and so forth and so and so forth. They are not self-preservation, they have gone into craving. Satisfying once. The same instinct that keeps you alive, unfortunately, has morphed into the instinct that keeps you going. The instinct that kept you alive, meaning you hunt, to, to feed, to leave, and so on. That instinct has morphed into to accumulate. Because there is a sense of immediate, temporary gratification with accumulation. How long did that iPad keep you satisfied? I don't know. La. I mean, it all depends on individual. Or that new handphone, or the glittering ring, which you could have put on the Buddha's <laughs> statue, <laughs> and so on. You understand that? So, what we have is craving. And it's a story for another day, when we talk about how craving works. But what you have is craving, and Kamaragga is craving. So, at a higher level of understanding, at a higher level of understanding, you see for yourself why craving is such a problem. And because you recognize, by now, you see it as a problem, you start to try and moderate your wants. You start to do that. And you do that effectively. Because by now, you quite Atas Redeemer. You are heading towards Sotapana, uh, uh, Sakadagami, second level. So be Atas, once uh, returner, uh, okay? So you're trying to moderate your craving. Flip side of the coin. The flip side of a coin of craving is anger. So, we are pada. We are pada has been translated as ill will, but basically it's anger. So, two sides of the same coin. Eh? I want if I don't get, i angry. Why do you think so many people go step, step the person they love? I mean, seriously, would you step the person you don't love? You will step the person you hate, but why do you hate him? Because he had done something to you, you see. They, they call it the crime or the murder of passion, right? They even have a word for it. Homicide by passion. So when you can't have something that you want, you turn violent or angry towards it. It's two sides of the same coin. But, unfortunately, you're only a sakadagami. Not that kilat yet. So, you couldn't quite contain your wants. Your craving is still there. The craving will come and it goes. You will see it as it comes and it goes. So, for all those of you who have sacrificed your plate of chakra or your favorite food, in the belief that that is part of your practice, and then you, you, you kind of flagellate yourself because so hopeless you are, trying to contain your desires and you still can't do it, the sakadagami is doing the same thing so it's okay don't worry it's normal we all in the same boat together just don't rock it too hard you understand what i'm saying so my point is craving is something which is very intrinsic in us so much so that what is a sakadagami someone who understands the Dhamma, right He understands the Dhamma. He crossed the first point. He understands exactly how the Buddha's Dhamma works. And yet, he looks at himself and there is craving. There is the arising of ones. And because there is craving, he has a temper. You understand that? The point also is that You don't go and judge a book by its cover. Don't look at a monk and say, ayo, got temper, so surely not seen. (laughs) Let's not even go there, okay? I'm telling you, roughly at point two still got temper. Because as long as there is craving, there will be the, the other part to it, okay? At the anagami level, the third level, they finally managed to purge. Finally managed to purge Kamaraga. Kamaraga craving for sense-based objects. You don't get your mind into any gutter. Sense-based object merely means objects your senses can appreciate. So it would be a nice photo-picture scenery. You go into the mountain, you walk into this beautiful scenery, I dare you to say, neutral. (laughs) The odds are you will look at this beautiful scenery and go, wow, lovely, isn't this? Right? Because if you don't do that, and you don't understand the Dhamma, something is wrong somewhere. You have to appreciate good things and beautiful things. It's normal. Again, this is how your system has been programmed. To work for you. Something nice is probably not harmful. Something that is nice smelling is probably edible. It's to protect you. Because in the old days where you don't know anything about bacteria... You will eat anything, right? You're hungry, you'll eat. But you say, it's so awful to I eat. Probably that will kill you. This is how your body has been programmed to keep you alive. So the same thing, today, although we are no longer in that kind of situation, we are still very much drawn towards nice things, beautiful things, nice smelling things, nice hearing sound. That is why when you're angry, you produce awful sound. Very few people, when they are being dangerous, will produce nice sound. Most people, when they are going to be harmful to another, most people produce awful sound. It's to give the other side a heads up, early warning. It says, run for your life. (laughs) Don't ruffle the feather anymore. You understand that? This is all program. You don't realize it. It's part of our DNA. We, are learned, we have learned all these things. Of course, some of us here may not catch it at all. <laughs> here she's asking you why, and there you are going, uh, 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 should I? That's because you never listen. But, separate story, that's again, sorry for another day. The point is, that, it is, Normal instinct to appreciate nice things. The problem comes when after you appreciate it, you want it. That's the craving part. It's actually two parts. Part one is nice. Part two is I want. It's the I want that creates the problem. Okay. So kama raga is craving for objects that appeal to your senses sakadagami, someone with that kind of level of understanding of the Dhamma, very deep appreciation of the Dhamma will still have the arising of craving and because he has the arising of craving, he will also experience the arising of dissatisfaction, of annoyance, of irritation and so on Anagami the never-returner, the guy who supposedly won't be reborn again, the guy would have let go of craving for sense-based objects. So if an individual's understanding is to the level where he sees arising as is, and he lets go of any arising, he does it so well, he, he has this deep understanding. He'll be able to let go of everything, of the of the craving. Crave for for craving for sense based object. I kept saying that because only at the level at the final level of realization and experience do they have no more arising of craving whatsoever only an arahan so at the final level at that level of understanding another five fetters will drop one rupa raga two arupa raga these are meditative states. Rupa and Arupa, when they use those words, it means Rupa meditation, Arupa meditation. Deep, deep meditation, your jhana and beyond type meditation. Okay, And in these meditations, it is so easy to develop a craving for them. Because experience is beautiful. And only the arahan would be able to let go of his attachment to this very subtle form of craving. He's got no no interest whatsoever in sense-based objects. To him, they are very gross, not very rough. But he may still have a certain attachment, a certain fondness for going deep into meditation. They still have that. So at the Arahant level, even that that very subtle craving, even that drops, okay. And then there are three more things which I thought were very interesting. One, mana. Two, udaccha. And three, avijja. Mana, M-A-N-A. Mana. It's comparison. This one, you have to understand the difference between mana and the very first one that you drop, Sakaya Diti. There is a difference. Mana is when you look at another and there is this instinct to say, I'm better than you. In a very rough, very raw sense, we call it kiasu. Then you say, what? An arahant? Dropping that? It's really odd. No, you look at your own mind, right? You look at your own mind, there is a subtle instinct to compare. There's a certain ego there. It's an ego of sort. I didn't describe Sakaya Diti as ego, uh. If you recall, my definition of Sakaya Diti was the perception of a permanent entity. I didn't call it ego. If you see the translation as an ego, that translation is wrong. It's not ego. It's slightly different. Ego is when in your mind you say you're good now I'm good i very smart i very clever <coughs> at a very high level of realization you no longer say I am smart because the I you dropped somewhere back there you dropped the I but the smart the smart is still there the pride the pride with your being smart that right is there kind of lurking there it's very subtle so you think about it even if after your meditation right you go deep into meditation then i said this thing about you come out and you feel goodwill and peace towards all right even then when you hear someone say that oh his meditation he saw this and immediately your mind going Okay, oh i didn't see ah you just came out, goodwill and peace towards all, right? It's, you have this, I didn't see That part here, has, has that got anything to do with your soul? Nothing. It's just a, that instinct, that nudge towards comparing. That nudge towards comparing, that's mana. So the sense that you are dif- you're distant from another, the I and them sense, Manak has to do with the additional part where you are still separate from another. And because you are separate from another, you will compare with another. And it's not even intentional or, deli- I mean, it's not deliberate, and it comes very instinctively. I suspect it's again programmed into your DNA you be the best that you can, so you get a head and you get the best bed for the night. And you get the best woman to produce your, next, your offspring so that your genes continue. These are all programmed. These are all very, very anatta. they are very anatta. So, in the minds of the arahan, something click, And because something click, this manak drops. If you had not clicked, the manak can drop. There is a realization, there is an understanding. Something clicked, it dropped. Okay, Udachya means restlessness. Basically, what it means is energy that shakes. You know, nevarana, uh, the kind of qualities that causes you not to to practice. One of them says. Another one says Okay Tina midda Is energy that's very slow They call it sloth and torpor It's heavy It doesn't feel like moving And what happened to you Is it got transformed into a rock It's very gradual But at some point It's for real Your butt cannot move anymore Okay The other one is energy that kind of flirts very fast. And you get very restless. And so what happens to you is you become, I don't know, laser. You kind of zip, 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 zip. This is all in the mind. okay? Your mind can't settle down to meditate because it's zipping all over the place. If you want to see a physical demonstration, you grab one of those two-year-old boys. Usually the boys have a bigger problem. With ADD problem. And you could zip, 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 zip. They really cannot sit still. I, my, my nephew was like that. Really couldn't sit still. You put him down, two seconds. One, two, boom. Same thing. It's all in our mind. Okay. So, udacha is restlessness. Energy that can't settle. That's all. Energy that can settle. But you can imagine that at this level, the energy that can settle is very subtle. Not quite like our type of energy that can settle. When we say udacha, we mean we are restless. We need to go and look for things to eat. Or need to find someone to call. Or where is the TV remote control? When we have udacha, at this level, it's a bit different. Okay. Finally, it's avidja. A-V-I-J-J-A. Avijja is ignorance. This is a level where they have complete knowledge, complete understanding of the Dhamma. Complete. There isn't any more lack of understanding. There's no more ignorance. So they have completed their story okay now in any forms of realization there are two two parts to the experience so in the the, the sense of the, the what the scripture talks about is they talk about sotapanna maga sotapanna pala sakadagami maga sakadagami pala and so on Magga is a path, Pala is the fruit. What does it mean? Magga is the part where they understand how it works and they developed it. Pala is when they experience the experience of release at that level. They don't come together. They can. It's like. um, Think of it this way. You go inject yourself with drugs. That's the marker. And then you go bonkers. That's the parlor. Get the picture? You walk this path. You train. You see. You understand. You see how it works and you understand how it works. There is that knowledge there's understanding, and then you can experience how it works it operates in your life. Then you taste the release of when you know when you let it go for the first time, and you taste that release that's the parlor. And it goes like that for all of them so in your sutta, um Ratana Sutta, for instance. In the Ratana Sutta, is, they say it very clearly. Four pairs of individuals. Eight, eight people, right? Eight lot of people. Four pairs. Magga Pala. Different people. Different, same person can, can take, it will, it will be sequential. Magga first, then Pala. Not the other way around. It's never Pala Maga. It has to be, you see how it works, then you taste yourself how it works. Okay, 12.15, you have 15 minutes. Anyone has any questions? Hi, morning, uh, morning, Sister Sylvia Bey. Uh I would like to go back to the earlier part of your talk where you mentioned about... Uh, getting knowledge, understanding, and then uh, realization, and then sense of relief and all these things. I mean, uh, it does apply to other religions as well, where they pick up any book, they have a knowledge, they practice it, they realize it, and they get a sense of relief as well. So uh, would it be the case of uh, seeing what you want to see and uh, some sort of a self-fulfilling kind of prophecy? I mean, does uh, it only be excru- uh, exclusive to Buddhism, or it can actually be uh, the same for other religion as well? That's a rather odd question. <laughs> no, you have a you have made a good point. I've said this before to someone also. This is not the when you have relief and you have peace and you have joy pertaining to a spiritual experience. That's not unique to Buddhism. In any any faith, where you ex- where you go through the faith. And then you have a spiritual in your mind, a spiritual experience, and you you get changed, transformed, and you get um, deeply motivated. It's perfectly normal. So is it unique to Buddhism? No, of course not. Everyone is possible. Even cults they can do that. Then why why Buddhism, right? Buddhism starts from the premise of a certain worldview. You need to ask yourself whether you can agree and subscribe to that particular worldview. What is this worldview? This worldview is your for truth. any evil path one and two, the tilakana, the three characteristics of life. They all come together in a picture. Okay? Today we got no time to go into the picture but they all come together in a picture. So there's a certain worldview. And if you subscribe to this worldview, then you ask yourself, how do I experience this worldview as was taught by the Buddha? And beyond that, it's not, it doesn't end with a picture. It ends with the promise of relief. The picture starts off by saying that, I know you are stressed. I can tell you why you are stressed. The question is, do you want to be de-stressed? If you want to be de-stressed and you want to feel the sense of deep peace in perpetuity, uh, that means unconditioned peace. If you want to try that and you believe that this method works, then you go for it. So, it's not a case where I know the truth, I unveil the truth, you follow me, that's the truth. No, it's that, this is a problem, this is how you solve the problem, do you want to solve your problem? This way. And then you turn around and say, sounds like a reasonable way to solve my problem, I'm going to give you a shot. So you try it. And... At the level of the sotapanna basically, it's a, deeper, a, a, a certain level of understanding where this person knows how to self self do it. Okay, what do you call that? Uh, self help, self help. I love those words. Know how to self help and solve their perpetual problems of the mind. This is actually what. Sorry, I I didn't explain this earlier. So good that you bring up a question and i can link it the main thing is in buddhism when you can crack the puzzle and you understand the teaching what it means is you see for itself how the method works and then after that you can apply it again and again and again it's diy already so you will not have to worry that you will go mad, that you will have a mental breakdown, that you you will see life in great pain. You won't because you know how to self-help. You will know how to get out of it. And then because you have already done the first part of the exercise, what's so difficult about going on to the next and the next and the next, right? So you just push on and you will get To experience more and more Of what was promised at the start So you get your dividends paid out In this life as As you go along That's for Buddhism Of course Any religion that works Must be able to deliver on what it says At least that's what the people must believe in. In Buddhism, it's a bit harder because you really got to self-help. In Buddhism, the problem is Theravada Buddhism, particularly. It's when you are told that, sorry folks, you're on your own. <laughs> what do I have? I have a manual. It's called the Eightfold Path. It's a manual. And these are all the results, the past track record of people who have gone before you. And this is what they all say. So you got what? You have um, feedback from customers, you know. I'm using modern words. but you think about it, it is indeed that, right? All this ode of the Arahans, the psalms the, the, the of the songs of the Arahans, what are they? They are very satisfied customers' feedback, no? <laughs> they talk about, I'm feeling so good, this is so happy, I'm, I'm really, really happy about this method. This method works, you know. It works for me, it works for you. That's what it is. And for the rest of us, if we think that he made sense in the first part of the argument, it's all an argument. eh? If he makes a lot of sense in the first part of the argument, and you think that actually the second part of the argument wasn't too difficult, to be honest, I will tell you very honestly, it's not difficult. The The second part of the persuasion is not difficult. The eightfold part, hello, it's Eight, not 800. <laughs> Just eight. And eight, which really, I mean, hello, don't kill. That's seven. Don't steal. That's six. I mean, what's so difficult about some of the, the requirements? If you do a performance appraisal, it's actually quite easy, right? Don't kill, tick, Don't steal, tick. Don't lie through your teeth, tick. I mean, you know, it's actually not that difficult. So, really the method's not that difficult. The only problem is the result's a bit uncertain. (laughs) And then when you ask for mentorship, you're not sure whether the mentor know what he's talking about. (laughs) That's a problem. So the Buddha left behind another manual with a whole list of what to look out for in case the mentors don't work too well. They have all these things about what to look out for. The problem, unfortunately, is through 2,500 years, many people have given their view about all this what to look out for. It got a bit gobbled along the way. So your job is to push aside all the gobbled messages and zoom in on the real thing. That's the trick. And when you are lucky enough, you nail the, the, the real thing, it still works. 2,500 years later, it still works. Okay? Any other question?
1: Question. See, when you see
0: her face, it means one more question. (laughs) (laughs) Any other questions? No more. No more. Can I ask uh, one question? Uh, what uh, Sister Sylvia, what will you suggest to someone who is beginner and see like because the ultimate goals of Buddhism is to achieve Nirvana and uh, they s- they think that Nibbana is kind of unachievable. So what would you suggest? First, you never go into a practice assuming it cannot be done. Once you assume it can't be done, it can't be done. It's already in your mind. You put a no entry sign. So that's the first thing you should, you should do. And don't listen to too many people. Because your friends around you will tell you it can't be done. <laughs> that's always the problem. Secondly, as the Buddha has always said, my power is very gradual. He, he, uh, he uh, likened it to, to the slope of the ocean floor. You know, the sand bed of the ocean floor. How gradual it is. Anyway, that's another story. The point, I think for any newcomer to Dhamma, the first thing you need to do is to just check and try and understand conceptually the first two parts of the Noble Truth. The, nob- the, the Four Noble Truths, the first two. You ask yourself whether you subscribe to that philosophy. Start with that. Don't go into karma, past life and so on and so forth. Those, by the way, are irrelevant. You go for the first two and if you think that they make a lot of sense, they make a lot of sense. Because essentially what they are saying is, what it is describing is this is the nature of life. Then you say, do you think it makes your, make your while to go and pick up a skill that will help you manage the stress in life? Do you think this method works, that it can work? If you think it, it makes sense, it can work, then you, you should plunge into it. Don't take baby steps. You know what, what baby steps do, right? Baby steps just walk like a baby, you fall all the time. Plunge into it means Look at all the eight four paths the, All the eight steps And go for it Check them all out Do it all at the same time They are meant to be done at the same time Together Set aside time for meditation Even if it's very short Even if it's only 10 minutes So be it In a 24 hour day Setting aside 6 hours for sleeping Because most of you don't sleep 8 Setting aside that, you still have a lot of time for just 10 minutes. Meditation, you can't do without. And the rest will flow. In my mind, it will always flow. Whether or not you have the will to try it out, and the discipline to keep going. And trust me, there is no such thing. Really, there is no such thing as... You can't see anything because you are new to the game. You never know when you, when you will have bits and pieces of understanding that will help you to build your puzzle. You never know. And it's good to collect all the pieces of the puzzle. Or you can do it the other way. Assume it can't be done, then it can't be done. Whereas I'm telling you, it can be done. Okay? (laughs) Okay.